so far in this letter, this short letter which makes up 25 verses. We've looked at two themes so far. The first few verses, the introduction, Jude's greeting is very much speaking about what we have in common, what we share one with another, and that is a wonderful theme. And that is something very much that Jude had on his heart as he was writing this letter. Now, he wanted very much to write of our common salvation. That was his great desire. But at the same time, he felt compelled to write on another issue. Something that would need to be contended for. Something that would need to be struggled for, toiled for, suffered for. And what is that? The faith, once for all, delivered unto the saints. The doctrine we have been taught. That holy truth passed down. Now Jude is compelled to speak on this. He's very much saying, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not my hobby horse. I would far rather be speaking to you about something more positive. But because of the situation, he must speak on this. He found it necessary. It was compelled. His duty bound To tell them of the dangers of going the way of the ungodly. Because the text we're going to look at here this morning. From verses 4 to 19. Is very much dealing with the end of the ungodly. The end of the ungodly and how it is not pleasant. But before we read this section of God's holy word. I just want to briefly speak with the children. Before we read the word of God. Boys and girls, I wonder if you have any friends, and they're very good at playing games. Are any of you very good at playing games? And you have one friend, he always wins. He or she always wins. Every single time you play with that friend, they always win. And they're like, oh, I hate playing with this person. They always win. I always lose. I don't want to play with this person anymore. But... When you play with them and they're on your side and they're on your team, you love playing with them because they always win. You're confident about it. Your friend is bigger, maybe stronger, can run faster. Now, I wonder, boys and girls, can you remember in the Bible a story when God's people were very, very scared of someone very, very big? His name starts with G. Goliath, yes, yeah, Goliath. And they were very afraid. They said, here's this big, huge champion, this big, huge man. And he made all God's people afraid. And Goliath was big and scary. He was very, very scary. And they thought, look, he's going to win. Who's going to fight against this guy? Now, we... The God's people have a champion who fights in our place. As they did back then. Who came and fought in their place? Starts with D. David. David came along. And was David bigger or stronger physically than Goliath? No. What was different between David and Goliath? David had a stronger God. He had the true 
and living God on his side so that he would have victory. But boys and girls, we have a stronger one, a stronger son of David on our side if we trusted in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. Now the world, does the world see the strength of this David? They think, no. They look at the world, they think the world is very strong, very powerful. It's like a big Goliath. But will it win? No. It will not win. There's only victory in the son of David, Jesus Christ. And what is the end of the ungodly? What happened to Goliath? Was it a happy end for Goliath? No. Death. Doom and destruction. And that is the end for all who reject Jesus. A sad end. And it's also what our text here speaks about this morning. A very sad end for the ungodly. So Jude. Jude. Verses 1 to 19 we're going to read from now. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. 
These are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great and swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our text This morning will be from verses 4 down to 19. Verses 4 down to 19. Many of us are anxious about the future. Perhaps even some of you here this morning are anxious about the future. Many of us, we do not like to not know what will happen next. We get very uncomfortable with issues of uncertainty. Over the last few years, I think we've seen how little we're truly in control, haven't we? Very powerful and very intelligent people at the same time have tried to to control things like the weather. They've tried to control every aspect of health, of, of the economy, and they have found time and time again, they can not. Now there's nothing wrong with trying to help people, alleviate suffering and different things. But they fail because they do not have the power and the strength to be able to control all these things around us. But there is one who does. There is one who is in complete control of every aspect of life and every particle of dust that is falling to the ground even in this very room. Who is that? God. He doesn't just control some things. He controls everything in this life. For without him, there is nothing. Now, speaking about uncertainty and and the future, what would you do? What would it do for you if you know what the future will bring? If you knew that something was certainly going to happen? Now, many people would say, oh, well, I prefer not to know. It would affect how I would live. Exactly. 
If we know what the future will bring, if we know what the final score will be in a game or whatever it may be, it will affect how we live. This text here this morning tells us of a certain future. A certain future for the ungodly. The ungodly does not think that there is a certain future ahead. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But there is a certain and true fact. The end of the ungodly is unpleasant. Those who attempt to fight against God is unpleasant. They think they can win. But they cannot. They may even at times strike fear into the heart of God's people, but they cannot win. What will it do for you here this morning, dear brother or sister in Christ, to know this certain fact that the end of the ungodly is certain, but so is the end for the godly? We're going to look at this text here this morning from verses 4 to 19 under these three headings. Uh, number one, their end from eternity. Number two, their end from example. And number three, their end from error. Number one, their end from eternity. We are time bound creatures, we can't wrap our minds around. The idea of eternity, can we? Uh, The idea that there's a place, you could say, with no time. Where nothing changes. God is timeless, eternal, and changeless. He does not begin. And he cannot end. That's what he means when he says, I am. That I am. He cannot become something else that he is not. He is pure light, pure goodness, pure truth, pure power, pure holiness. The end of every single creature. Depends upon him. Our final destiny. The end for where we're ending for. It depends completely and utterly upon God. Every step. We may think it depends upon us. And the decisions we make. But ultimately. From the perspective of eternity in God. It all depends on him. In verse 4 of our text, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Literally, this means written before. This has been known for that these ungodly are marked out for this condemnation. It is known long ago. It is no surprise to God. From the perspective of God, he knows all these things will take place and will all happen. And how? How could he know all these things? Because he is the one who is all-knowing. The one who is all-powerful. He has decreed what has soever come to pass. Our own confession of faith says this. God 
from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Another way of saying that is, if it's happening, it has been ordained by God. Every single aspect of history. He knows all. Because he has declared it. He has spoken it into existence and he controls it at every moment, at every second. And we think, what power. It's not just that God knew. He knows because he has brought it to pass. Our God, he does not learn anything because he has nothing to learn. He knows the end of the ungodly. He knows the end of you and I. He knows our final moments, what they will be like. He knows everything. Should we not listen to him? Before we go on and before we think, can we wrap our minds around these deep truths? Well, should we not listen to him? He knows all. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. Surely we should have ears. And we think, we need to listen to him who is almighty, all-powerful, this pure being, the one in whom depends every aspect of life. Your eternal destiny depends on him, not you. It depends on God. It doesn't depend on your family. It doesn't depend on your money. It doesn't depend on your intelligence. It depends not on your failures or your successes in this life. It depends all upon him. Nothing takes God by surprise. Did you know that? Nothing takes God by surprise. Not the fall of man. Nothing has taken God by surprise. This, this knowledge over history, this power and control over history is seen in verse 14. Verse 14 of Jude. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Long ago, even in the time of Enoch, thousands of years before this, Enoch prophesied knew. How did he know? Because of God. Because of God. The verdict against these ungodly is certain. It is certain. He knows those ones from all eternity. In a world of uncertainty. It's, it's all uncertain from us, isn't it? You almost, you turn on your news and you don't know what people are going to say from day to day. If somebody told you five years ago that it would be controversial to say that there are two genders, male and female, you probably thought, mm, you're going a little bit too far there. But the world is constantly changing. Well, in some senses it's not. It's really man is in rebellion. And there's real uncertainty and an uncertain feeling around the world. But from the perspective of God, nothing's uncertain. Nothing's uncertain. Nothing has shocked God in, in any 
way. What will happen if you fight against this being? What will happen if you fight against the unchangeable, the the pure one? What will happen? And what what is the, 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 the... the reasoning to think that you could win. Uh, the rebel who says the, inf- the finite creature, someone who's been created out of dust, can fight against the infinite God. Imagine if you were walking along by the mountains and you saw someone pushing against the mountains and you asked the person, what are you doing? I'm trying to get the mountains to move. Would that not sound crazy? Boys and girls, I wonder if you went outside this building and if you started pushing against the walls of the building, do you think the building would move? No. We are trying, people, rebels who are in rebellion against God are trying to move the unmovable one. They're trying to get him to change and bow to his will. Imagine how absurd it is. Sin, really, at its core, is, is madness. It is utter madness. It is absurd. Now, what does God think of the rebels who will fight against him? Psalm 2 tells us, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. We often don't think of God that way, do we? It's so easy to have such a small view of God. So often we think of God not as omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. Some way beyond our, our comprehension. We often look at ourselves and we think he is the perfect version of ourselves. That is the danger. We think of a person and then we go to the perfection of that. No, no, no. God is not in any way limited like we are. He is not time bound like we are. He does not change like we do. He cannot be manipulated. What? Do you do, dear friends, in the face of such an awesome being? What is the only right and sane thing to do? To surrender to him, isn't it? Why would you fight against him? With no possibility of victory. And not only that, why would you fight against him? Because he is good. He is glorious. He is wonderful. And he offers salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, to all who will repent and believe. We need to be like Isaiah when he saw the Lord. He says, woe is me, Isaiah 6, 5, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, I am undone. He's not just kind of going through the motions. He's like, look at him. I am not worthy to come into his presence. And dear friends, none of us are. The only reason we can come into his presence is because of Jesus Christ. 
His work. He has washed us with His blood. He has clothed us with His righteousness. And it's only because of that we can come here this morning into the very presence of Almighty God. See Him. Be in awe of Him. It's only in Him that you have hope. To fight against Him, there is no hope. To submit to Him is hope. See, there are only two options. There's not a third one in the middle. Either you will fight against the unchangeable, the unmovable one. Or, you will surrender to him. His terms of peace found in Jesus Christ. He is the one who controls the end. Verses 17 and 18. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last day who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. These, their end of these is certain. Number two now. Their end from example. Their end from example. We see their end from the point of view of eternity. Now we are time-bound creatures and we will not ever really fully understand these things. It brings certain doom to anyone who will fight against the Lord. But also, friends, certain mercy to those who will come in the name of Jesus Christ, to embrace Him by faith in Christ. We don't just have promises, though. We have more than promises. As wonderful as those promises are, we also have concrete, real, and seen examples of the end of the ungodly. Examples that demonstrate the peril of the one who is ungodly. The dangers of following the way of the ungodly. The rebel against God. Jude here gives three examples in verses 5 to 7. He says, but I want to remind you, verse 5, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. As an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Examples of a powerful way of emphasizing truths, don't they? Reinforcing dangers. There's a particular stretch of road near where I live in Dromore. And it's quite dangerous. It's one of those parts we cross the dual carriageway to get onto the other side of the road. And you know it's dangerous. The, road, the, the cars are going really fast back and forth. And you're looking for that little gap to get across. But until you hear someone who's been in an accident in that stretch of road which I have, and until you, you yourself have been in an accident yourself, you realize the dangers. 
you realize how scary that stretch of road is, and so now I take a different road around there. I avoid that. But it's so easy, isn't it, to downplay the dangers. We do it all the time in various different things. We do it maybe at our workplace, to downplay the dangers that are around us. But spiritually, we cannot downplay the danger. The danger is real. The danger is real. We must avoid it at all costs. What about the first example here given in verse 5? The people in the wilderness. Those delivered by God from Egypt. Surely you think, well, they're fine. They're fine, aren't they? They've been delivered from captivity in Egypt. They have Moses. They have Moses, their leader. They should be fine. What could possibly go wrong? Well, many of them did not believe in their hearts. And what is this teaching us in verse 5? That many of them perished. It's not just enough to be part of the external body of believers to be saved. It's not just enough to have your name on the membership role. It's a good thing to be a member of a local church. But the most important thing is that you're a member of the invisible church. That you're a member in terms of faith in Jesus Christ. That spiritual bond between you and Christ. You need to be born Again, trusting in the Savior. Why did they, those people who perished on the way to Canaan, why did they not enter into the land? It tells us in Hebrews 3, verses 16 and 17. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Who with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It is unbelief why they did not enter into the land. That was the example Jude was showing them here. Unbelief led to disaster. Not even the angels, these impressive, powerful beings, could escape the the example of rebellion here. Even they don't get away with rebellion, you could say. These impressive beings. No savior was sent for the angels. Have you ever thought of that? No savior was ever sent for the angels. He was sent for the seed of Abraham. You see, not even the angels are excluded from doom of rebellion against God. Sodom and Gomorrah, likewise, in verse 7. They gave themselves to their lusts. They served their own desires and their own appetites, not God. And they became an example, really, on this earth of hell. And we may read of Sodom and Gomorrah and may make us tremble. But it is nothing compared to the full onslaught of hell 
itself. In this world, we get a taste of what heaven is like by trusting in Jesus Christ. We get a, we get a taste of what heaven is like by being here and singing the Psalms and, and, and having our souls fed. That is a, a, a crumb. And we, we get crumbs of the wonderfulness, but we don't get the fullness of it yet. But there's been a taste there of the wrath of God, and it will be poured out in its fullness upon all the ungodly who continue to fight against God. Justice being delivered, a frightening warning for us all that hell awaits if we have not repented and trusted in the Savior as our only hope. But are the ungodly, those who lack holiness, are they, are they all that bad? We might be thinking, are they really that bad? Perhaps you're one today and going, really? Is that, that's, a bit, that's a bit strong. And perhaps you're here today and you're also downplaying your own sin before an almighty God. In verse 11, it says this, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And what did Cain do? He murdered his own brother. Now, today, what will people say in, in politics? What's the worst thing people could compare you to? Oh, he's like Hitler or something like that. That's the worst thing you could say about anybody. But think about Cain. He murdered his own brother. The world's first murder. Or Balaam. We remember him. There was some... God used him to prophesy blessings in God's people. But what was he initially doing? He was going out to seek, as it says here, greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. It says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb Donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. And also, we remember Korah. Korah, who were swallowed up in their rebellion against Moses and then against God. And these examples should make us tremble. All of us. These examples should make us flee from the broad road that leads unto destruction. These examples vary, don't they? It's a broad road that leads to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. But the road that leadeth unto life is a narrow way. And these examples should make us flee from this way. To flee to Christ. This day, dear friends, are you a friend? Or are you an enemy of God? There's only two possibilities. Our final point here this morning is their end from error. Their end from error. So we've looked at the, their end from eternity, from example, and now we're going to look at from error. It just, it's not just from eternity or example we know their end. We also know because of the evil fruit, the error of the ungodly, God is good. It's not just that God has goodness. He is good. It's not just that God has love. God is love. He defines what goodness is. 
He defines what the standard is. And to turn from him, to turn from what is true, is to turn from light into darkness. It's to turn from what is good to what is not good. There's only one possibility. To turn to evil. To turn to error. To turn to falsehood. What is the end of every man, woman, and child who follows error, who follows the path of error, an evil fruit, and makes this error their hope and their trust? Verses 8 to 10 says this, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. And their error is here, they're dreamers. They invent evil things. They dream up reasons to reject authority. They dream up reasons to reject the the true and ultimate authority in the universe. And so they become their own authority. They serve themselves. They, They go the way of Cain. Woe to them, verse 11 says. And what we must do as God's people, if we have a credible, a believable profession of faith, is that we stand in the authority of God. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We are sinners. We need God's forgiveness daily. But something that will characterize our lives if we're true believers in Jesus Christ is that we seek to stand in the authority of God. And what is that authority? The word of the living God. That is that authority. Now this was seen with Michael, the archangel. Again, a very impressive being, wasn't he? But even he did not seek to invent evil against such an evil being as the devil. Merely he just says this. He delivers the Lord's message and says, the Lord rebuke you. Even he does not seek to bring up things, invent things against the devil. But often the ungodly want to speak about many issues. And we see this today. They are unhappy with many things. They are angry with rulers, dignitaries, it says. They blame them for their lot in life. You know what? An ungodly person is going to be, not going to be content in this world. I deserve better, they will say in their life. I deserve more. And that's why they're so angry with authorities. So accusations come. And they speak about things they do not understand. There's very little humility. It corrupts them and brings them further and further away from God. No doubt in their own eyes, these false teachers in Jude's day thought they were doing the right thing. But they trusted in their own understanding. It says in Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. And godly lean on their own understanding. The Christian must 
trust in the Lord with all his heart. To turn from God, to not look to him. It's the, it's the very opposite of understanding. God is the source of all truth. All truth. Those with understanding realize how little they know. The, the more you study, do you ever feel like the more you study a subject, the more you think, I know nothing about this. You actually feel like the mountain you're about to climb keeps getting bigger and bigger. That's called humility. Because you just realize, and you keep learning, and you keep trying to do your best, but we don't know everything. But God does. And we need to keep asking him in prayer that he would fill us with wisdom. Do you listen to God? You say, how do I listen to God? Reading his word daily. If you were in a, in, a, in a marriage and you didn't listen to your spouse, your husband or wife, there's something wrong, isn't there? But you know, we need the, the, the church, the bride of Christ needs to listen to her husband and the word of God. We need to be fed daily. Are you open, dear friends, to his correction? We're not perfect. Yes, we'll all acknowledge this. But are we open to being changed? To being conformed? To seeing where we were wrong in certain areas? And to be willing to change our minds and say, you know what, I need to stop doing that. And you know what, friends? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll never regret it. It will bring you greater joy. It will bring you closer to him. Talk to the children here. Are you open to correction from your parents? That is part of the fifth commandment and is God's means by which you're going to learn to be more like him. We all, young, old, rich, poor, we all have to be open to correction. But what about those who do not follow God? Verse 16 tells us there's a root to the problem. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and their mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles, our Lord. And then in verse 12, it talks about them as well. They are spots in your love feasts, while the feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. And this is the problem. The ungodly are dead. The root is dead, so the fruit is not good either. Do you have life in you? If you have life in you, you are turning from error. You are turning to correction. And you are learning from the voice of the living and true God. What do you follow, dear friends? What examples do you follow? Who do you look up to? Are there people in your life and say, I want to be more like that person. I'd like to, what he's doing or she's doing in that area, I want to learn more of that. What kind of people are you influenced by? Paul said this, imitate me. Just as I also imitate Christ. Who do you look up to, dear Christians? Yes, we are to look up to Christ. But do you look up to the godly or the ungodly? 
Who impresses you the most? Do you read the godly men of the past? Do you, do you try to learn from the godly men and women of the present? Or do you look up to the ungodly? We are so bombarded with phones and media and celebrity stuff. And it can be so easy to be enticed to being impressed by all this kind of thing. But these people mostly are dead. They are to be prayed for. They're to be pitied. They're not to be followed. And we can learn various things from them. I'm not saying we can't learn anything from the ungodly. But in their moral life, they need Christ. But friends, our way is not that way. We talked about a certain end for the ungodly. Doom, death, destruction. But it's not for us, is it? There's a certain future for you and I who are in Jesus Christ. A glorious future. A future we cannot comprehend. And the more we comprehend it, the more we are willing to say no to in the world. The more we see the glories of heaven to come, the more we don't mind letting go of pet sins, of things that cause a barrier between us and God. Dear friends, come to God if you have not already. Follow Christ with all your heart. Amen.